it's trite, but if you build it, people will come. And, you know, one of the corollaries is that uh, they often say women are indicator species, right? You see women out there, women with their children, it's mom who decides if the infrastructure you just created is safe enough for the family. And so it's particularly heartwarming to uh, see the uh, women and children, dads too, out there, I call it. I title some of my photos, Adventures with Dad. You see little toddlers on the bike with Dad going for a ride. Those, you know, that's a testament to what the city has created in Santa Barbara. It's wonderful. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity. I'm John Summerman, founder of the Active Towns Initiative and your host on this podcast journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. In this episode, you'll meet the amazing bicycle advocacy volunteer and photographer, Frank Peters of Santa Barbara. We talk about the recent transformation of State Street into a car-free zone to give more space to people to walk, bike, shop, and dine in the city's core downtown business district. And he has graciously shared with us some of his beautiful photography work documenting this historic period in time. So please consider watching the shortened video episode on the Active Towns YouTube channel for the visuals. And also be sure to check out our episode landing page for a handful of these images. But before we dive into this discussion, please allow me a moment to mention that this episode is once again being brought to you by the super generous contributions of our donors, sponsors, and monthly patrons on our Patreon page. Thank you all so very much for your amazing support as is frequently the case in most small nonprofits. Please know that any donation is greatly appreciated and every little bit adds up. To learn how you too can make a huge difference in helping me to produce this content by making a tax deductible gift, becoming a corporate sponsor, or joining our monthly Patreon program, please head over to our website at activetowns, that's plural, dot O-R-G and simply click on the donate link in the top right corner of the page. As always, I've included all the appropriate access links in the show notes. One last thing before we get started. If you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast, please subscribe to and rate it on your preferred podcatcher platform, including our new YouTube channel. Okay, time to roll into this fabulous conversation with Frank Peters. Well, hey, this is John with the Active Towns Initiative, and today is October 8th, 2020, and I'm honored to have Frank Peters from Santa Barbara, California, join me remotely today. Frank, it's so wonderful to connect with you. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast. Thanks a lot, John. Nice to see you again. Yes, yes. Nice to see you. Now, we are doing a video podcast this time around, as well as an audio. So for those of you who are tuning in on the audio stream, if you'd like to see the visuals on this, and fair warning, we're going to have a lot of cool 
stuff that we're going to be talking about that is going to be rich in video and still photography content. So be sure to check out our Active Towns uh, YouTube page, our YouTube channel, and catch the, the video version of this podcast. So first off, I want to... First, though, a uh, counter thought is, uh, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts. People mm-hmm. always told me, though, that I had a face for uh, radio. So uh, I want to warn your viewers, uh, acknowledge that as we get started. Oh, I totally disagree. It's you're, you're a sight for sore eyes. It's great to see you here today. <laughs> well, hey, I tell you what, let's do this. Uh, to kick things off, why don't you take a little bit of time to share with our audience just a little bit about yourself. So a very brief moment to introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Well, I'm a longtime retired guy. I started out, uh, you know, just career-wise anyway, I wrote software for Wall Street decades ago. And uh, ooh, that was exciting and thrilling. And I retired at age 45. And since that time, I've never punched a clock again. And so I've dedicated my life since that time to all volunteer efforts. I've sat on nine different nonprofit boards uh, over these many years. and. Most recently, in the past 10 years, I've uh, turned myself into a bicycle advocate. And uh, I think that's what we're, that's why I'm on your show today. Yeah. And I thought, gosh, if memory serves me correctly, I think it must have been 2012 when we first met. And if this sounds correct, I, I'm, if I'm jogging my memory, uh, perhaps the Alliance for Walking and Biking Retreat on the Queen Mary, or perhaps oh, I was the Walk. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was there for both. Yeah. Yeah. And so, weren't you one of the presenters? I uh, I was in a breakout session on the Queen Mary. I got forty five minutes notice that I was going to host a breakout session for forty five minutes, and. Uh, so that was good. I, I usually don't need a lot of time to uh, just hand me the microphone, I usually say, and watch out. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting time. And yeah. uh, because that is uh, such a while ago. Let's go uh, real for a second is uh, I was on the mayor of Newport Beach appointed me to their bike safety committee in 2012 and I was in Long Beach for that conference and the following event and then I went home to Newport Beach and uh, within a week we had uh, three major uh, collisions between cars and bicycles one woman in a coma and three separate incidents and two women dead and it tore the city inside out and uh, of course, a tragedy like that has so many facets to us. But those of us who were advocating for changes, we had our list. We knew what we wanted. And of course, like so many, uh, you know, uh, dealing with government in so many locales, there was resistance and foot dragging. But that tragic weekend, we're able to bring pressure and bring changes to the city of Newport Beach. So that's yeah. uh, kind of bookends that experience on the Queen Mary. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And that that particular conference uh, is a conference that's that's typically held uh, once every two years. Uh, this year, they, they planned on being in Indianapolis, but had to go virtual. 
but yeah, it was that was fantastic having you there. And as memory serves, you you talked about something kind of interesting and sort of different. Uh, sort of, if I remember correctly, you brought in some learnings from venture capital and, and things of that nature. Does that jog a memory for you? Yeah, I think that's why uh, I got tapped on the shoulder to lead that session was alternative, you know, fundraising ideas because I had spent uh, many years uh, as an angel investor in Southern California. Oh, actually, I was an angel investor in several parts around the country and uh, internationally. Uh, I was uh, chairman of the Tech Coast Angels in Los Angeles. And at the time, we had 300 members. Today, they have 400. And we would brag we were the largest angel investor group in the world. And of course, uh, what did we do? We pooled our finances to underwrite early stage high tech companies. And that was, you know, very exciting. And we were constantly looking at uh, new deals. Today, people just turn on Shark Tank. But uh, at this point in time, it was all done in uh, these angel groups. And so I uh, tried to bring some of the concepts to uh, that session. I, I do remember this. I had standing room only. You know, when you want to talk about money, uh, that brings people into the breakout session. Well, and all these years later, it, it still stuck with me. <laughs> so there you go. It, you clearly had an impact. So after after your time in, in the Newport Beach area, and uh, I believe you, were you also involved with uh, the Corona Del Mar bike advocacy group as well? Yeah. So uh, tie it all together here is I started podcasting uh, seriously as an angel investor, you know, to be... Uh, an angel investor, that was like a black box. You couldn't come to our meetings unless you were invited. You couldn't get invited unless you were an entrepreneur with a business plan that qualified. So what happened in those meetings was a huge, you know, secret to so many entrepreneurs. And I often would say that it broke my heart to see young, typically young people with great ideas coming to pitch to us and blowing it. They just didn't know, right, uh, how to most effectively present. So I often say that I was telling all of Tech Coast Angel's secrets on my podcast. You know, there were, uh, you know, like in any industry, there are some things to uh, say and some things not to say. Right? And anyway, that was the motivation. And I wasn't focused on like the hot new entrepreneur of the week. I very quickly realized that my fellow angel investors were, each one of them had a terrific, exciting background, business background, and terrific stories of how they made their own financial success with their own ideas about how to succeed in early stage investing. So I had unique access like that. So then one of my listeners in Long Beach writes me an email and says, uh, Frank, he could tell that I was, you know, riding my bike. He says, you ought to interview Charlie Gandy. You get Charlie Gandy on your show. And Charlie, for those that don't know, uh, everybody knows Charlie is a uh, 
you know what, a bicycle advocate extraordinaire, a terrific guy with a wonderful attitude. And so I did. I started with Charlie, and then I went on to interview many other notable characters in bicycle advocacy. And what I did was I would take those interviews and slip them into my, well, I had a huge audience with the angel investing. So I'd slide those interviews into my uh, angel investing, early stage investing uh, audience. And uh, that was a good way for me to cheat to build an audience for the bicycle. What I didn't realize at the time was, of course, those interviews, you know, and you put them out there, they go everywhere, right? And so I often like to describe it's my perspective, it started a little bicycle advocacy renaissance in Orange County. All my local friends and new friends that I was making started listening to the podcast. And all of a sudden, we had action in Laguna Beach and Santa Ana and Garden Grove. And of course, we were learning from Long Beach was the city we looked up to. So anyway, there's your long answer to, yeah, I started doing uh, podcast interviews, uh, uh, bicycle themes. Yeah, fantastic. That was. Yeah, and that was, uh, you and I were talking about this before we hit the record button. And, you know, that was in the early days of podcasting, as you were mentioning. It was analog back then. I think you were probably the second podcast that I started listening to with Chuck Marone and Strong Towns being uh, probably the first. And uh, so good, good stuff. Wonderful how much has changed in the past eight years now. And you mentioned Charlie Gandy. Charlie has some uh, history here in Austin, Texas as well. He had, had been in. Of course he does. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And of course he and Melissa now are up in the Pacific Northwest, which is where you ended up going to. So you, you, you know, are currently in Santa Barbara. You were previously in, in Orange County, but you had a little interim up in the Portland area. Talk a little bit about that. Right. Your uh, viewers can already tell I've got a little bit of snark, John. And so my snarky commentary that I started sharing was, uh, although we were excited to make progress in Orange County and in particular in Newport Beach, it dawned on me that if you want to live in a bicycle-friendly community, you have to move to one. And so I had family that was moving from the Bay Area, my sister and her husband, moving to Portland. Uh, I went to University of Oregon one year, just one year, on exchange from University of Massachusetts. So I had a real, you know, soft spot for Oregon. And so we packed up and sold the house and moved to Portland where, wow, what a, you know, uh, your listeners know it's a platinum level bicycle friendly community and super infrastructure, uh, great uh, community support, nonprofits supporting all of that uh, effort up there. Yeah, it was uh, a great place to go hang out for a couple of years. Fantastic. And then after that, you landed in Santa Barbara. And I would say pretty much immediately when you hit the ground in Santa Barbara, you got engaged with the bicycle advocacy 
environment there in town. I paid you a visit a few years ago, and you took me around and introduced me to some some wonderful folks, including uh, a community cycles type of uh, program there, and uh, just great stuff. Bring us up to speed with uh, you know that environment of the the efforts to make Santa Barbara even more bicycle friendly because you you had mentioned it you you made that move you know up to portland to be in a more bicycle friendly community you made your move down to santa barbara and as soon as you hit the ground i saw things on your feed uh you know reinforcing that santa barbara is quite bicycle friendly but also uh needed to become more so and there were things that needed to be done so bring us up to speed with santa barbara sure john uh, it was like a punch in the nose to move from uh, portland to santa barbara i mean uh yes it had some good bones you'd say right in the uh infrastructure here but a lot of room for improvement and i i knew that if i didn't engage in a constructive way, I just become a troublemaker. So I muscled my way into the bike coalition here. And it's only a short time thereafter. Uh, I, I think some of the things I was most proud of was uh, sending people to the uh, some of the national bike summit conferences that are held every year and to try and educate our team. We hadn't been doing that. And then just a year in, I took a party of 11 from Southern California, other people from beyond Santa Barbara tagged along. Uh, and we went up to Portland for uh, five days and five nights, meeting the people, riding the infrastructure, seeing their bike share, uh, you know, learning everything we could from our colleagues in Portland. So that was a, uh, as I look back, a watershed event there. Uh, since that time, you know, so many communities, I believe, uh, bicycle advocates go to City Hall, bang their shoe on the podium and say, you should support, you know, better bicycle infrastructure. And to greater or lesser degrees, they're successful. Here in Santa Barbara, what took me a while to realize was that city staff, our transportation and planning people, they got it. Uh, you didn't have to go to City Hall and uh, deal with, you know, let's say the political whims. Our city staffers knew what they were doing. It's just maybe it's getting to be two years ago now. You know, we apply for grants from the state of California gets money from the federal government to award to different cities and regions for bicycle infrastructure projects. Uh, Santa Barbara got $40 million uh, two years ago. Uh, the biggest piece of the pie that California doled out to any uh, municipality that year, which created quite a bit of envy and probably like uh, sports drafts, bumps that bumped us to the back of the bus in future years. But we got money for everything we asked for. And so a couple of years later, one of those projects just breaking ground now, a major connection from connecting existing infrastructure to be able to go from downtown Santa Barbara all the way out to UC Santa Barbara on the west side, uh, huge off-road bicycle infrastructure. So that's just one of so many. And, and But then there have been more recent changes, of course, COVID has brought other changes to the community. Maybe we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll, def we'll definitely get into that. Uh, so one of the things that I know that you're passionate about is 
this concept of recreational cycling and how cycling can be powerful in terms of uh, bringing tourists and visitors to a, a region. And we, we've, we've mentioned several times the Portland area. And one of the projects that you're working with is Cycle Cal Coast and this joint venture between Santa Barbara and Ventura County. But you, I, I know because you, you let me know this, that you're, you're patterning a lot of what's going on there with back to the Oregon Scenic Byways. Talk a little bit about that particular initiative, what you'd like to achieve, and why Oregon Scenic Byways as the benchmark. Well, uh, the Oregon Scenic Byways is such a, uh, bikeways is such a uh, huge success. Oregon was out to bring economic benefit to some of their rural communities that, you know, didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, economic, a uh, lot of jobs and infrastructure, but were scenically beautiful and maybe not a lot of cars. So you could put bicyclists on the road to some of these scenic locations quite conveniently. And uh, it, that, that fit me very well. You know, I only got on a bicycle maybe 10, 12 years ago. And um, I, I had spent 35 years off the bicycle. So when I get back on, you know, first thing is I become a zealot, right? I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And everything is so terrific and I'm losing weight and feeling great and all of that. But I struggled for a little while. Just, you know, people would say, well, Frank, what kind of a cyclist are you? Well, very quickly, I knew I'm not lycra clad. I don't fit in those lycra clad outfits. And, even if I did, I couldn't keep up with my buddies that are. And so for the longest time, I struggled. What kind of a bicyclist am I? Coincidentally, I've got a great sense of adventure. So when I learned of Russ Roca, uh, everybody knows about Russ Roca and Path Less Pedaled. He was a man who was taking a, um, uh, you know, uh, a non-athletic approach to riding a bicycle. And, oh, boy, that just blew my mind. And so I started following him and uh, the kind of projects he was doing. And, of course, he was the guy, much like yourself, John, putting together all the media for Oregon the Scenic Byways. So fast forward, uh, of course, while I'm up in Portland, I ride several of these uh, in, way out in eastern Oregon and much closer to home, too. I've got a great sense of what impact they have on the community. So one uh, night forward, I come, we relocate to Santa Barbara. I get involved with the Bicycle Coalition. Uh, I told you my computer background, a little bit of a website wizard. So the first thing I offer to the Bicycle Coalition is let me, uh, I could work on your website. I could, there's a lot of things I could do on your website. I said. And to my surprise, they declined my invitation, but they were very polite about that. And they said, uh, Frank, but there's a group that meets once a quarter. We want to introduce you to the folks at Cycle Calcos. They've got some, you know, website dreams and uh, maybe you could get involved. Well, what a change to my life that brought. I go to this meeting and it's a uh, it's filled, the room is filled with bicycle advocates, uh, Caltrans people, uh, people from both counties, Ventura and Santa Barbara, city staffers, and it's led by a county supervisor, County of Ventura. And so one is I meet everybody, you know, overnight, I meet everybody in the community. And as I like to say, uh, 
didn't take much prompting. They, I often say they threw the keys at me to their website. They had one uh, route on their website. So they had started with something, but uh, they were struggling. They were thinking they were going to have to go out and, you know, contract with a website developer to build what they wanted. And I took that and uh, very little time. You know, today I think there are two dozen different routes. You, you don't want too many. You really want just the best of the best routes. How to get to these. Many of our uh, routes in the Central Coast can be reached by uh, the Amtrak Surfliner. So we've tied that in. And uh, anyway, then we tie in all of the local bicycle-friendly businesses as well. So somebody could go to Cycle Cal Coast, uh, plan a trip, and uh, see everything they need to to uh, have a great outing. Fantastic. And, and what's the distance between the city of Santa Barbara and the city of Ventura? Of course, they're contiguous. They're uh, from my house to downtown Ventura is about, uh, I think, uh, 30 miles. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. And some of the most beautiful coastline that's out there, correct? Oh, beautiful. And I think that's what started their initiative is the California Coastal Commission worked with these two counties to build a bike lane along the coast, a beautiful bike lane, off-road bike lane connecting Santa Barbara. When we return from this quick break, Frank and I discuss his involvement in air quality advocacy and we dive into the heart of our main topic of this episode, the transformation of Santa Barbara's State Street into a nine block long car free zone and his related photo documentation project of the vibrant street life that emerged. But first, if you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast, please help me grow our audience and this movement to create more activity-promoting places by telling a friend or two. Thank you. Okay, let's get back to our conversation with Frank Peters. We may notice that Frank's voice is just a little scratchy right now, and it's because of the, the wildfires, and uh, it's, it's actually a topic that... Uh, that he's quite passionate about in terms of air quality. Uh, why don't we pivot right now since you're <laughs> having a little bit of a, uh, of trouble with that. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about air quality. My uh, Instagram handle is biking breathing because that's how I would describe myself when I'd go to the podium at city hall or at the County, you know, by way of introduction, I describe my interest in bicycles and my long-term involvement as a clean air advocate. You know, I would tie it all together and tell them, Mr. Bicycle and Breathing. So just recently, I changed my Instagram handle to that. Another thing that started in Orange County, uh, Barbara and I were living at the beach, and that was wonderful. But there were 27 wood-burning fire pits on the beach just 500 feet away from our home. Now, a lot of my friends didn't have any sympathy for me, you know, living in such an environment. But as we looked into it, we discovered how toxic, you know, basically it's a wildfire every night on the beach. And as climate change started to pick up in the past 10 years, 
there was no more winter anymore. So instead of people going away for the winter and uh, bonfires on the beach just being a summer activity, it was now, you know, every day of the year. So we got <clears throat> the city to engage in discussions and we actually made some progress with the local air district. Barbara and I advocated and were successful. The first, uh, you know, beach bonfire regulation in the nation, the uh, Air Quality Management District in Los Angeles. And uh, that required us going to uh, Sacramento then to defend it. And uh, anyway, uh, over time, we were outspoken advocates for uh, clean air. So tie that all together. We moved to Santa Barbara for its clean air. Right. And uh, I, uh, very quickly, uh, shortly after arriving anyway, there was an opening on the local county air pollution control district is the agency here. I, uh, I'll bring it all the way up to date. I just got a second three-year term on the hearing board and the hearing board is like quasi-judiciary. Uh, some of these are called level five polluters. They have permits and uh, they have to maintain their equipment and report the results to the air district and stuff happens they uh, have to come to the hearing board and we adjudicate some of the uh, permit discrepancies that occur from time to time and as many of your listeners know uh, santa barbara often takes credit for the beginning of the uh, environmental movement the uh, terrible oil spills the offshore oil platforms. So it's a real progressive community here that uh, really gets out of bed in the in the morning and saying, you know, what are we going to do to improve our environment? So that's been a lot of fun. So that's the biking and breathing part. So fast forward to tie it all together. One of the things that is instantly, you know, observable to me as I moved to Santa Barbara uh, four years ago was uh, State Street is the main you know, downtown street goes right through the heart of the retail. Coming from Portland had several, you know, uh, neighborhoods with great economic vitality. But in Santa Barbara, there's just State Street. And the city has done a lot. There's no parking on State Street. It's just a single lane in each direction and bike lane on each side, which is great. But, you know, that's <clears throat> still, uh, since cars can't, you know, stop or park, why do we even have them? there so when we bring this up though the we get patted on the head right just like i was saying in newport beach and so many other places right well that's a nice idea frank uh, you're such an original thinker but we've been talking about that for 30 years well nothing ever came of it however the economic crisis that occurs to our restaurants in particular here in santa barbara that's what motivates the city. They allow the rent, they, one, they closed down State Street, nine blocks from the Arlington Theater all the way down to, let's say, the freeway. Uh, that's the core of the downtown area. So now bicyclists and skateboarders and pedestrians can roam, you know, without concern about uh, vehicles. And what happens the next day is restaurants start expanding. You know, they have to, all dining has to move outside. 
they're moving out onto the sidewalk and then out into the street, building little uh, wooden platforms in some cases and setting up all their you know, tables and chairs outside. Well, what happens is maybe California is doing a little bit better than average with dealing with the coronavirus and dining outside has been deemed, you know, reasonably safe. And the fact that Santa Barbara is a major tourist destination, the restaurants in Santa Barbara go from teetering on the brink of extinction to overwhelming financial success. These restaurants are packed night, well, especially weekend nights, starting tonight, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, wow. So it's been a uh, huge success uh, closing State Street cars. And, and then, of course, why we're here talking about it is bicycle ridership is way up. It's uh, something that uh, many of us have never seen before, the uh, number of people on bicycles. So I noticed out on your social media feeds, uh, maybe it was weeks ago, you can you know, correct me as to when you really you know, felt compelled to grab your, your camera and, and get out there and start you know, snapping some, some images. And, and oh, by the way, I love the fact the marquee of, uh, you know, you had your, 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 your Instagram identity up on the marquee of, what theater was that? That's the Arlington Theater. Wow. And it's one of the most iconic, you know, places in the city. And uh, it's my neighbor. I live right next door. And I know the folks at the Arlington. And, you know, you feel terrible that they can't, uh, you know, they're not allowed to show movies or have any concerts or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I started brainstorming, uh, you know, talking to myself in the mirror, you know, how could I uh, promote what I'm doing, capturing these images on Instagram? And, uh, you know, just create a little bit more buzz. I'd like, of course, city officials to see, you know, firsthand the renaissance in bicycling in Santa Barbara. So the theaters are closed. I can't go inside and show them on the big screen. But the marquee was sitting there virtually empty. And I negotiated with my friends next door. And, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure you've got a picture you'll put up, John, is... Uh, I have uh, biking breathing on Instagram featured on the marquee and what a, you know, it's caused uh, me uh, great uh, enjoyment and uh, really tickles and kind of validates me too. Pe a lot of people in the community see me pointing a camera at them and what's their first reaction is, you know, am I doing something wrong or, you know, who's that guy, who's that guy, that old guy too. So now I can say, uh, you know, have you seen the marquee on the Arlington today? So that's been fun, a, a non-digital marketing. Yeah, yeah. And it's wonderful. And we're, we're going to share as part of this particular video podcast. And so this is another uh, encouragement for those of you listening to the audio version of this. Be sure to head over to YouTube and, and, and catch some of the visuals to this because it really is amazing. So I'm gonna include a whole bunch of really nice still photography images from your collection as overlays to this uh, particular discussion. But right now, tell, tell me a little bit about that experience and, and the, the, the response that you're getting from the people who are out there 
because there's joy on the faces of these people that you're capturing. Yeah, those are the pictures that I published, John. But uh, there are all kinds of expressions out there. But a little background on that is um, I told you that I, uh, you know, worked in New York and then I sold my company and I was a young man, didn't know what to do with myself, but I'd always had a interest in photography. So uh, one of my friends in New York City said, uh, Frank, you know, the high school around the corner here, they're looking for, they need a photographer in the dance department. Why don't you go over there and talk to them? So I did, and it changed my life. I became a dance photographer at the High School for the Performing Arts in New York City. The fame school is called LaGuardia High School. They uh, love to brag that it's harder to get into uh, Princeton, Yale, or Harvard. Uh, no, it's 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 harder to get into LaGuardia than those Ivy League schools. It, it attracts talent from all across the city. Uh, and uh, I became a dance photographer, and I had a lot to learn about, you know, shooting uh, dance and ballet and kids in the classroom. Uh, shortly after that, just a year or two later, I'm doing the same thing at University of California in Irvine with Donald McHale, a famous dancer, choreographer, and then uh, you know, head of the dance department, artistic director of the dance department. So I'm a bi-coastal dance photographer. And uh, what a thrill that is. And uh, it was all as a volunteer, and I was giving the kids, part of, part of my mission was seniors needed headshots for their portfolios. Oh, uh, yeah. And as soon as I get done with that, they need ballet, you know, poses for their college applications. So there was a lot of, you know, just, uh, what do you call that, a blocking and tackling kind of effort. But then as I get through all of that work, it's the spring and they've studied all year and they're doing their dances. And so I get to shoot the stage and tie this all together now, John. Uh, yeah, I have just sold my business. I have no budget for my studio in New York. And Nikon announces the first uh, D1 digital camera. So I've got a couple of those and I've got all the gear. I'm running a first class photography studio in the school and uh, word spreads, let me say that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, if memory serves, you you have a coffee table book of some of that uh, photography? Years go by and uh, uh, increasingly uh, I'm uh, emailing photos. You know, I take a nice photo on the stage and I send it to a few friends. And one of my friends at the time, was the uh, managing director of the Geffen Playhouse in Los Angeles. And, you know, we would meet and have lunch, let's say, once a quarter. And I'd often bring him a gift, and I printed out one of my dance photos. And then one day he says, uh, uh, before we, we'll kind of walk to the restaurant today, Frank. So meet me in my office. So I go into his office, and there are my dance photos sitting in his bookcase uh, on, in his office. And some point in time afterwards, I email him this photo I took, and he responds, uh, Frank, you have to do a book. So it was like, you know, uh, inspiration. I go back to the high school in New York, and I say, you know, I'm thinking of doing a, a book. And it was like I was the last one to know because the woman who ran the dance department, Mickey, what's her name? 
she had plans that she put into effect immediately, uh, introducing me to former educators, instructors at the school. You know, sometimes in some cases, people going way back to capture some of the stories. And I had a lot of the photography. And anyway, in uh, just short order, it all came together. And uh, I gave, you know, a thousand copies of the book to the school, you know, as a fundraiser opportunity. So that was a fun chapter in my life. And, uh, yeah. And what, uh, what a great uh, way to pave your way towards a new world of digital photography and Instagram. Uh, and the, the photos out on State Street, again, you know, there's, there's just so much joy that's being captured there. And it's so powerful. Talk a little bit about, you know, sort of the response that you're getting locally as well as uh, around the world to, to folks that are following your work, because that is sort of like a <laughs> the modern day version of a coffee table book is is your Instagram portfolio. I tell you, it's a lot cheaper than publishing, you know, a, a book in print. I'll start with that. But uh, I guess uh, one thing I would say is it's just, I suppose, a gift is I've often gotten a nice reaction. That's the key to being a good photographer, you know, landscape photographers, it doesn't matter. But when you're shooting people, I've often gotten a nice reaction from people. And uh, that's certainly true on the street. And then, of course, like I've done before, I've combined that with, uh, you know, the very best equipment that I can walk out onto the street with. And I'm able to capture these images. And that's where my background in shooting dance, you know, it's motion. And although I'm freezing the action, I know, uh, you know, what I want to accomplish. These are more like portraits, bicycle portraits. It's the way I kind of distinguish them. I'm really, you know, keyed on the, you know, who's the individual. So a lot of the shots are just from the handlebars up. And I've gotten a great reaction. Just like at the high school for the performing arts in New York City, you know, high school age. There's a high school component here in Santa Barbara, and they're out riding their bikes every night. And just like the kids at LaGuardia Dance, they love their picture being posted on Instagram. So I've got a lot of uh, young people that I'm meeting, uh, which is the people of all ages. Uh, yesterday, uh, I met a man. I'd seen him. I tell him, I see you riding your bike every day. Roger, he told me he uh, worked at the high school here in Santa Barbara for 40 years. So his first question is, how do I know you? He thought I might have been one of his students, but no. I knew him because I took his photo one day and put it on Instagram and quickly people are identifying him. So, uh, and his perspective matched my own. He told me he's never seen so many people on bicycles in Santa Barbara as there are today because of the city closing the street, State Street to cars. So that's what's been going on, John. I am fortunate that I'm lazy, like so many of us, I'm lazy. I turn on the camera, walk out the door, and in the action, I'm right there. I don't have to get in the car or ride my bike anywhere yeah. to uh, be a part of this. And it's like stepping into a river, the step out on State Street, and you've got people going by you left and right. Yeah, yeah. I hope that, especially I think what tugs at the heartstrings are some of the pictures of the young children 
little boys, little girls. One mother brought her, she four-year-old, uh, one e early evening, and she's all dressed up with a beautiful pink tutu and a polka dot top. And then you have to look more closely to see rainbow colored shoes. And anyway, uh, photos like that, you know, populate the site and uh, really uh, the community is really responding. So a, a reoccurring theme of the podcast of the Active Towns podcast has been uh, the response that communities have had uh, across the country and around the world to a, a devastating you know, pandemic. And the fact that in many places, people are, are rediscovering their neighborhoods and having a shift, a, ment a paradigm shift in terms of their relationship with their street. And it, it sounds like that's a little bit of what's happening with State Street with you. Yeah, it's just like the city drank a magic potion and people are out there just like, you know, we all learn. We go to conferences like you started this interview, John, talking about, you know, conferences, national conferences we've both been to. Uh, we talk about that. Some cities are fortunate to have pioneered in this area and, you know, it, it's trite, but if you build it, people will come. And, you know, the, one of the corollaries is that uh, they often say women are indicator species, right? You see women out there, women with their children. It's mom who decides if the infrastructure you just created is safe enough for the family. And so it's particularly heartwarming to uh, see the uh, women and children, dads too, out there. I call it. I title some of my uh, photos, Adventures with Dad. You see little toddlers on the bike with Dad going for a ride. Those, you know, that's a testament to what the city has created here in Santa Barbara. It's wonderful. Yeah, and I think that uh, the, the fact that you started off this conversation talking about the economic rebound and the vitality and the vibrancy that took place once the street was transformed and there was space uh, available to be able to pivot during a difficult, challenging time reinforces the concept that uh, streets are for people. And when we create people-oriented places, some really cool, amazing, magical, as you use uh, the term, you know, things can happen. And that's just really, really encouraging. So don't be afraid of change, I guess, is one of the uh, things to take away from this. Even devastating change, like uh, the economic devastation that's happening as a result of COVID. You, know, you have these side effects that occur where people are compelled to look at alternatives. And, and in this case, it's alternatives to how we organize and structure the downtown core. And it's, uh, you know, at first people were nervous is the city gonna keep uh, State Street closed? Well, now, uh, as I like to say, it's hard to get the genie back in the bottle. Uh, the economic opportunity that's occurring here, the city's never gonna be able to take that away and say, okay, everybody off the sidewalks, off the street, you know, to let cars just, you know, ride down there and they never could park. It was all red curb both ways. So anyway, that, you know, I think guarantees the success here. There's one 
aspect that I haven't mentioned, John, about my taking the photos there uh, out on State Street is um, my, the bicycle documentarian part of this is I've always thought that eventually bicycles will be restricted on State Street. And I would tell my friends who would be horrified at the thought, I'd say, well, the city will only do that at the point when it becomes an economic, you know, miracle, so successful. And we have examples like Santa Monica's Third Street Promenade is, uh, you know, so packed with people and diners and jugglers and musicians and everything else you can think of that uh, bicycles have to be walked through the promenade. So that could, uh, so part of my photography motivations are to capture this moment uh, just in case it's uh, short-lived. Yeah, yeah. And we can think of, you know, a handful of pedestrianized main streets. Pearl Street, obviously, in Boulder, Colorado would be another where uh, in that pedestrianized zone, bikes are not allowed to be ridden. You can obviously walk your bike through to your, your destination. But yeah, point well taken. You said something there that I think is very, very um, important, and we should just dive into a little bit, and that was don't be afraid of change, because one of the biggest challenges that we have is we you know, try to create more people-oriented places is that there's a little bit of an upsetting of the status quo, the way things have, quote-unquote, always been. And, of course, it's not true. It, it hasn't always been that motor vehicles have dominated our downtown areas. Motor vehicles are really a relatively new construct in the history of man and time. 100 years. There you go. Only 100 years. But talk a little bit about that, because one of the biggest challenges that many cities have in dealing with transforming their environments into more uh, healthy, more vibrant places, people-oriented places, if you will, is that resistance to change. Yeah, and uh, bicycle advocates everywhere know what we're talking about, John, right? Is you're, as you upset the apple cart, you're pitting safer streets for cyclists and what might be added economic advantage versus, you know, the status quo. And, you know, the merchants in Santa Barbara were the, dragging their feet. Right. That, that was the problem. They create these committees to revitalize State Street because like every downtown area, you know, the thing, e-commerce, people like Amazon are hurting the little shops in on State Street. Too many of our shops, uh, retail, has been in support of, uh, you know, the tourism community. And yeah, I think we all know that we're told today we're instructed by architects, city planners to build your downtowns for the residents if you want a long-term sustainable environment. But our, you know, uh, we weren't doing that. We were chasing, you know, trying to sell t-shirts to tourists and uh, that wasn't having the economic effect that we wanted. But then the city would create these or the business district, these um, revitalizing, you know, State Street. But then they'd appoint people to these committees who, you know, would just come right out and tell us that they had to have the cars 
on State Street driving by, even though they couldn't stop. They had to have that kind of visibility. And they were patting us on the head, telling us that things like the Third Street Promenade and Pearl Street and Boulder are the exceptions and not the rule. So, and, and then you look at our elected officials. They, of course, part of the game in American politics is you want to run for city council or some other position here. You're going to need financial contributions. Bicyclists really don't contribute to that. So we're disenfranchised, whereas the local businesses are the core of your uh, political support in the community if you're a city council member. And if you want to run for office or run for mayor, you're going to go ask these people. So we had a lot of friction there with our elected officials, no different from every other city that I know of in Southern California anyway. Anyway, uh, don't be afraid of change. It broke that log jam where the merchant class was dictating how we use State Street. They were the experts. And of course, you know, uh, they'd never been, none of them had ever been to the National Bike Summit in Washington, D.C. to learn of how other cities are doing this. So they're flying by the seat of their pants. And too many of our city council members just kind of like nodding their heads. And nobody wants to see, you know, pitchforks and torches at the next city council meeting. So that kind of describes the contest that we were in. So we needed help and COVID brought that. Yeah. And it, it was just one of those things that happens and it happens globally across the country, around the world. And it reinforces another thing that uh, we had been developing, especially over the last five years, and that is quick action you know, tactical urbanism, you know, pop-up infrastructure, things that you can do very, very quickly, lighter, quicker, cheaper, and then give people the opportunity to feel it, see it, experience it, which is brings us right back to the smiling faces and the people who are out there on the bikes, on State Street, experiencing it. And, and it allows for people to deal with that resistance to change and have a little bit of a paradigm shift. So it's, it's absolutely beautiful how, how that happens. If you can touch it, if you can feel it, it makes it more real for you. So, I hope that Santa Barbara is recognized as an example for you know, what's happening here could happen in your city if you'll take the risk. Take your downtown core and put up some temporary barricades and keep the cars out and uh, see what happens. You know, you'll be surprised at uh, the economic impact, the number of bicyclists. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be clear, I mean, every city and every downtown is going to be slightly different. You had a situation where State Street was already a zone that was a flow-through zone. There wasn't parking, you know, on that particular Main Street area. So it, there's a little bit of copy and paste, but there's also a little bit of customization. Make it work. It doesn't have to necessarily all be a car-free zone. It could be an ultra-low-speed sort of Dutch approach of a shared street environment where the, the speeds are dramatically reduced to you know, 6, 7, 10 miles per hour uh, type of situation. So understand that... Uh, you yeah. prisoners, though. You bicycle yeah. advocates listening out there, go to City Hall, bang your shoe on the podium, 
and take no prisoners is, uh, you know, we often use the example of, is it safe for an eight-year-old? That's kind of one of the cardinal rules, right, John? Is uh, if the city's, uh, if the street's not safe for an eight-year-old, you haven't really accomplished your mission. So, uh, yeah, sure. Start on some side streets if you want to prove the concept. Yeah. Santa Barbara took out nine city blocks. Now they've extended it. Uh, on a side street here uh, to reach kind of like the restaurant row uh, right. because it's such a, you know, a windfall, economic windfall. So yeah, it's a yeah. great time to be a bicyclist in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the eight year old and, you know, the, the, the tagline there uh, that Gil Penalosa started years ago was eight to 80. Uh, I'm now using the, the tagline uh, much more uh, uh, frequently of all ages and abilities, and and that really you know sort of encompasses the fact and what you're documenting out there in th through photography is that you're seeing all ages out there flocking to the area, and just be some cases a mom uh, helping her toddler step off the curb. And he's got a little uh, toy car that he can sit inside of, and he's going pedals, and he can ride that on State Street. If that doesn't, you know, hit you right here, I don't know what is, you know that. And it's the mother again making the decision that it's safe enough to let her toddler. That's what started me on State Street. I've got there's a a family in my condo building here with a seven year old, and he's a, you know. A, seven years old maybe it's hard for some of you to remember what it's like to ride a bike at seven it's uh, he's still learning and i captured an image of the mother head down towards his level he's sitting on the bike and you can't hear of course what she's saying you can't see her expression but you can see his yeah beautiful for the listeners who are out there and the viewers as well uh, who are motivated by our conversation today, what advice do you have for them to be able to make a difference in their community? Well, of course, first thing is get involved, right, at any level. Um, you know, I, I said before, I've been at this for 10 years, you're going to, it's going to take you. I would tell my bicycle advocate friends in Orange County, you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life. So don't let that scare you, though, at the same time. You're going to make steady progress. And, uh at no time in the past, like right now, is the awareness of the environment and uh, here in California, the impact from fossil fuels and our wildfires. People want to listen to your point of view. You've got the economic incentive, like we've talked about over and over again. Businesses in your downtown core need something different to remain viable. So get involved, uh, read, listen to podcasts like John's here, and uh, go to a regional or a national conference where you'll meet other like-minded people. For, for one, you're going to come away from the experience like that feeling uh, not quite so alone. And you'll learn of other people's successes, and that will encourage you to work towards your own. Oh, there's a path there and yeah. uh, started it. Beautiful, beautiful. And and also follow your work and uh, give us that uh, Instagram uh, identification again. It's Biking Breathing on Instagram. Biking Breathing. Fantastic. Uh, a lot of fun images there. Come by and leave a comment. 
Yes, absolutely. Frank, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you here today. Thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. Thank you, John. Thank you also very much for tuning into this episode. I certainly hope you've enjoyed the conversation with Frank Peters. Please be sure to follow his work on Instagram. Again, his handle is Biking Breathing. I've included this and several other helpful and relevant links in the show notes and on this episode's landing page at activetowns.org. A quick reminder before we part ways, please don't hesitate to drop me a line if you have any feedback, suggestions, or questions. My email is john, that's J-O-H-N, at activetowns, that's plural, dot O-R-G. It's always wonderful to hear from y'all. Well, that's all for now. So until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers.